evening, everyone. Charles Moskowitz here. Thanks for joining me. My guest is Daniel Greenfield. He is a um, Stillman Fellow over at the um, David Horowitz Center, Front Page Magazine, uh, cutting edge columnist. He covers, uh, often writes about, um, he uncovers uh, the issues uh, regarding the left. And uh, Daniel, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Daniel, you just did an article that really caught my interest, and that is uh, that uh, Google is developing an app that can um, track people's whereabouts. Um, and this is in response to the crisis of the uh, virus. Um, and this, it kind of is similar to the kind of stuff that's going on in China. And we've heard warnings about this, at least those of us who care about these issues. Um, over the past year, that China is tracking every single citizen with this app and they're giving people um, social scores. If you don't get a good social score, you don't get benefits in the society. Um, you know, it's kind of an update on what China used to do and probably still does back when they would have block managers who would watch the neighborhood to make sure, spy on people, make sure that no one said anything or, or did anything that was seen as, quote, politically incorrect. Like, for example, if a woman became pregnant uh, after having the number of children allotted, she could get a knock on the door and taken out and forcibly aborted and, uh, and other such things. And now there's always been a fear that this is coming to the United States and that Google is going to start to do the same type of thing here. So I'm concerned that the, uh, the pandemic is being used as an excuse to uh, do just that. W what say you, Daniel? Well, you know, we wanted to think that we were different in China, that the government isn't spying on us. But the bottom line is every time we were using a lot of these free applications, a lot of these free services uh, from companies like Google and Facebook, they were amassing huge amounts of data on every single person who was using it. Now, was it bad enough when we were talking about it uh, being used on desktop? But when it's on your phone, uh, they're able to track you in very, very detailed ways. Um, when people started putting smart speakers in their home and smart assistants, uh, they were effectively eavesdropping on you. People were effectively were wiretapping themselves. Now, all this uh, huge amount of information was definitely being used by these um, huge dot-com monopolies. Uh, the question was, what was their level of interaction with the government? So now what Google is doing is extremely disturbing because, you know, a whole lot of people have Android phones, Android phones like Google. Even when people don't have Android, when they have um, Apple, when they have iPhones, um, if they've got any Google apps on them, those apps are communicating with Google. Um, and what Google is doing right now is they're using data, location data, uh, from among other things, Google Maps, to track where people are going and to assemble these databases, which they're actually making public, um, that will list our people in this area engaging in appropriate social distancing by tracking where you're going. Now, um, effectively, it means that every single phone or pretty much every single phone, unless you've got this kind of old-fashioned flip phone that my wife uses, um, Google is tracking you. And they're putting this information out there. They're, it's meant to be used by public health officials, which basically means government organizations um, to take action. So if they decide people in a particular area are not engaging in appropriate social distancing, we can engage in a crackdown. All this is sourced from data that you're actually giving to them. Uh, whenever you go anywhere, even if you never open a Google app, if the apps are on your phone, then Google is effectively tracking you. Well, I mean, already under the guise of the pandemic, there's a virtual medical martial law in much of this country. And there are, the left is clamoring 
but all the whole country to be put under this law. They want the federal government and President Trump to basically declare complete control over the states, turning them into moot entities, and uh, in the name of an emergency, uh, engage in in complete um, and and utter power, you know, uh, to deal with this. And more locally, on a state level, to echo what you're talking about, Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York is now um, allegedly, or or based upon uh, the most recent uh, information I've seen, he's uh, going to have uh, the state literally go to people's doors and people's businesses and confiscate things like masks and um, respirators and other supplies that the city needs. Now, there's no question the city should get these things, but the point I'm making here is that under the guise of an emergency, there is this is a major erosion of, uh, of property and of freedom. Um, and it kind of dovetails into what you're saying here about what Google is doing, because how could uh, the state of New York know where these people in, are if it wasn't for things like Google or some other means of, uh, of gaining that information? So New York is doing this, New Jersey is doing this. I imagine more states are going to follow suit. And this is really part of the bigger picture. We're seeing this huge shift, this reconfiguration of the relationship between people, individuals, and the government. So um, everything that we've been seeing in the last month or so would have been completely unimaginable if you told the average person even two months ago that the government mm -hmm. is going to seize control, um, people are going to be prevented from leaving their homes, um, people are going to be closely monitored everywhere they go. Uh, they would have said, you're a nut job. You're a crazy person. Oh, this crazy, has never yeah. happened in America. And what's striking is, first of all, of course, that it has happened. It is still happening. Uh, we're still, we've still got further to go. And two, how it'll protest, how it'll opposition there has been. Well, look, I mean, you know, again, it's a, the, we're, we're facing a kind of a hysterical buildup to this with, with awful dire claims that I think are greatly exaggerated, in my opinion. I'm not a doctor, but even so, even if they are true, you know, we have to be very careful about uh, this this naked seizure of power on the part of the government, and and we have to at least make sure that uh, we return to status quo ante after the fact. And I also would add that um, I thank God that Donald Trump is president right now, because can you imagine if Hillary were president or some liberal? We would have martial law right now. We would have concentration camps. We would have the federal seizure of entire industries, a nationalization of the economy. We've heard people on the left openly talk about this, like Mayor of New York de Blasio, who called for the nationalization of, of industry. And, and we've seen this tendency on the left, this idea that um, the, the criticism of Trump is he's not taking enough powers he uh, he um, issued the Emergency Power Act, but he's not implementing it totally. He's being very careful and very selective in his use of that power. And uh, so I'm, gr I'm, I'm grateful that, that we have a more conservative president here who is not getting sucked into this, this massive totalitarian trend that we're seeing right now. And it's very alarming. Yeah, well, we do have an election coming up, and while we do have President Trump, we should definitely appreciate him. Uh, we don't know when this crisis is exactly calculated to end, and we don't know um, what's going to happen after. We hope, we certainly hope that President Trump would be reelected. If he's not, we are going to end up with a Democrat in the White House, and at that point, really, Joe Biden is a guy who is basically mentally out to lunch, and you just push a button and he does what you want, or alternatively, Bernie Sanders, 
who is an out-and-out socialist. So we could right. very well have an extreme radical in the White House who was actually using this crisis to fundamentally transform the country. And even uh, with President Trump, you've got Nancy Pelosi in control of the House, and she's been pretty clear that um, she's going to use this, she's going to exploit this for everything. And you've got Jim Clyburn now, um, Representative Jim Clyburn, third-ranking House Democrat, actually in charge of oversight of the coronavirus relief. And this is the guy who's openly said that this is an opportunity to fundamentally transform things. So uh, we're far from out of the woods in that regard. Oh, I think that they're trying to set up another impeachment. And this is exacerbated by the fact that uh, Biden is so utterly in incompetent and incoherent. And that's becoming more obvious to more people every day. So what else can they do but but try to impeach him again? I mean, it's a it's kind of a given. And that and that seems to me to be what's going on. Another piece of proof that um they want to prolong this crisis, I would argue. And again, I don't know that. And I know that's a heavy thing to say. But, I, you know, I sense that, because, you know, sort of in the lines of what um, Bill Clinton, uh, what Obama's chief of staff, Rahm Emanuel, famously stated on a national TV show, that don't let a good crisis go to waste. Well, this is their crisis. And yet there is this drug, this anti-malarial drug called, uh, called hydroxychloroquine, that has proven to be very effective in treating serious cases of this flu. It's been tested in France and it's been used. There's a, there's a doctor in New Jersey who used it in 62 of his patients, all of whom were cured. And look, I'm not a doctor here. And I know that technically in a normal time, this would still be seen as something that requires more study. But at the same time, it seems to me that it's suspicious that any mention of this drug and you're attacked as being a kook and crazy, and that worse, Twitter apparently has decommissioned several major accounts of people because they just mentioned the name of this drug. I mean, I feel scared, reluctant even to mention it here because this program is a YouTube program. I mean, will I be taken down from YouTube because I mentioned the name of this drug? I mean, what's going on here? It's certainly, unfortunately, not impossible that that's going to happen because YouTube is Google. Uh, yeah. The major platforms, uh, Twitter has been the most aggressive. Google, at this point, I'd say, is the second most aggressive in censoring. Um, so one of the factors that we've been actually seeing kicked into action is the so-called uh, censoring material that can, in theory, cause self-harm or um, medical misinformation. So now this has already been very, very broadly used to begin with. A certain dot-com platforms, even well before this crisis, were censoring um, pro-life accounts by claiming that they're actually engaging in medical misinformation or promoting mm -hmm. self-harm just by warning against abortion. But now here they have a golden opportunity to um, use the crisis to engage in broad censorship. And, you know, I mean, it's, I'm not a doctor. I'm not taking a position on it. Uh, but this kind of broad censorship, first of all, creates a good deal of public distrust. Um, people actually assume the opposite of whatever they're being told to assume. Uh, when they see people being censored, they assume that there is something there and that this is being covered up. Um, but this is an opportunity, once again, for this huge power grab. Uh, so going back a bit, why have people fallen into line so much? Um, because social media uh, is being manipulated to create a consensus in this regard. Uh, people mm -hmm. are being censored. Certain um, views are being inflated. And so when people hear the same view repeated over and over again on Facebook, on other uh, media platforms, um, their response is that this must be true. Uh, before social media, I don't think we could have gotten this kind of broad response from Americans where people are just climbing on board with this without asking questions. 
the genius of social media is that it appears organic. It appears as if you're surrounded by people who all agree and are saying the same thing. In practice, of course, there are algorithms that are shaping how people respond to it. Well, you know, it seems to me that uh, there is a virtual monopoly here that's very similar to the kind of monopoly that was held by the oil companies at the turn of the century when Teddy Roosevelt busted Standard Oil into seven pieces. Um, I wonder if there should not be similar action taken now uh, in that, uh, that so much of this control over the means of communication, which of course is the classic definition of, of socialism, even though technically they're private, they're acting as a proxy, um, that that is in the hands of, of this small group of people. What do you see, uh, what, what do you think is the best policy in terms of um, confronting this, this behemoth that is deciding what we see and don't see, what we hear and don't hear? So before this crisis, there was actually a major push and even seemingly consensus by Republicans and Democrats that Google, Facebook, that the big dot-com monopolies needed to be broken up. Uh, virtually every attorney general, a state attorney general was involved in this. Attorney General Barr was looking at this. And you even had a consensus with um, leading candidates um, on the left, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, with President Trump saying that a lot of these monopolies really need to be broken up. Now, of course, nobody's talking about this. The focus is very much elsewhere. But that is still what needs mm -hmm. to happen. And an important thing about companies like Google, um, about a lot of these dot-com monopolies, they were not actually born as um, private companies. Uh, they were funded mm -hmm. by uh, federal research dollars. I mean, the whole internet was really uh, funded by federal research dollars. But when you go to places like Stanford, um, their computer departments were all really benefiting from just about every single government agency you can imagine. Google was very much set up with federal dollars. Um, so this is really, this is really, these are companies that American taxpayers invested money into. These are companies that have become monopolies. They effectively control the means of communication. Um, if you're off Google, for example, you are effectively non-existent. If you're That's off right. Facebook, you don't exist on social media. Um, Google controls about 80% of search. Facebook controls about 80% of social. It's not just Facebook, it's the other companies that they own like Instagram. Um, they can effectively erase you from existence. They control the means of communication to a degree that no company has ever controlled. And it is absolutely vital that they be broken up. And this crisis just shows us how dangerous they are. I, I think that that's absolutely right. And to add to the uh, danger is the fact that they've been playing footsie with the communist Chinese. Um, and uh, and we're seeing some of the results of that. Um, so, uh, Daniel, uh, let my viewers and listeners know where they can read your excellent column and, and find out more about your excellent work. Absolutely. I'm a Schumann Journalism Fellow with the David Horowitz Freedom Center. David Horowitz is our intrepid leader. Um, yep. you, can find, you can find my writing and his writing and many others at frontpagemag.com. Daniel Greenfield, I want to thank you very much for joining me today. As always, my pleasure. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you.